Howdy do, y'all. I'm Uncle Drank, star of the ballad of Uncle Drank. It is a scripted musical podcast about the life and times of me, fictional golf and western country music pioneer, Uncle Drank. The series also stars Luke Wilson, Brian Kelly, Chelsea Lynn, Kinky Friedman, and Billy Zane as a talking blender named Blendy. You can find The Ballad of Uncle Drank on Sirius XM, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, my name is John Paul Kermy. I am a breathwork teacher. I train people on how to teach breathwork as well. I'm really excited to be doing this new podcast with my good friend Feldy called Hangups, where we're going to help you change your life. We're going to show you how to transform your life with different tools. That's right. I'm John Feldman. I'm in a band called Goldfinger. John Paul taught me breathwork. It changed my life. I have struggled with anxiety and depression throughout my life, and I've gotten through it. This is a solution-based show. We're talking about solutions to problems today. Welcome to Hangups. Our podcast, John Paul Crimmy, John Feldman, my good, good, one of my best friends on the planet, John Gatons, screenwriter, actor, husband, father, legend, probably not a musician, but I mean, could be. Your son, your son played me Bohemian Rhapsody on the piano better than Freddie Mercury could play it, so you could probably play something. You're fucking Oscar nominated screenwriter, right? For Flight. That's, right. That's yeah. a big fucking deal, so we should throw that in there. And then right now, Real Steel is like uh, trending or in the top 10 on Netflix, right? It came out a while ago, but it's like, it's blowing yeah, up on Netflix know. right now, right? It's just, I got a lot of people reaching out because I guess it hit Netflix on the 21st of September, where I guess it wasn't available there before. And when it did, it got a ton of, you know, ton of looks or something like that. So people were reaching out and the director and I had a funny exchange. So yeah, that was a sweet movie. I mean, that was... Simpler times, simpler times. I got to have a mohawk. I'm in the movie and I got to like shave my head into a mohawk and get a lot of really cool fake but good looking tattoos and uh, like an eye pierce and stuff, so. I got some killer tattoos. I got all these tattoos of my, um, of my cats. I got my son back here and then I got my, my first prison tat right here when I did my stint in San Quentin, my, uh, this, this little kitty cat. And I can move my muscle and it goes meow, meow. It's fucking really tough, dude. I, I got was thinking about getting that Ben Affleck picture where he's outside smoking and he just like the one that uses the meme where he's just like, oh, like he's just so miserable. I want to get that tattooed on me. <laughs> I don't know what, I don't even know what, what there else there is to get. I got my daughter up here, Mila, or over here or something. I got my son. I, I've got, I'm, ne I'm never getting my wife tattooed. That's like a... That's a fucking, that's I thought, you, I thought you said at one point, if you had it to do over again, you wouldn't get tattoos. Am I wrong? You know, it's a great question. One of my good friends just got a really big tattoo. And I was just thinking, man, if I, I, I think that all the time. I think there's probably some, some tattoos that I think are okay, but my whole back is tattooed. 
it's like, um, I mean, my wife, I, I sleep on, with no shirt on and my back faces her. So she just has to look at this big fucking Celtic turtle every night. And I'm like, what does it even mean? I mean, you think it means something because my, you know, my grandmother was from Ireland. And so I've got this Celtic design and I like the ocean. So it's a sea turtle, but it doesn't mean anything. It's just fucking a turtle on my back. I have a, I have a giant koi fish on my leg and people are always like, that's a great tattoo. I'm like, that's not a tattoo. That's a midlife crisis when you can't afford a Porsche, right? Like that's what that is. And, and like literally like five minutes into the tattoo, I was like, oh my God, that hurts so much. Why did I do this? And it took like four fucking visits. And one of the visits was like eight hours. I sat eight hours straight. And like every time he wiped, I was just going, oh my God, that was so painful. Like so, and I'm not a little bitch. I'm pretty did tough, you, but. Did, did you ever think about getting tattoos? Me? Yeah. I don't know. The pain doesn't interest me all that much. And plus like I get bored with shit. So I feel like. I might be really into it for a couple of weeks and then be like, oh, I wish the fish was a horse, you know? <laughs> but I guess maybe that's what then you, you get the horse on the other thing and you keep going. I yeah. don't know. Maybe that's the fear that I would start and just not stop, that I would be that guy. I don't know. It's yeah. a fleeting thought, but I think I'm too old and too bored. And yeah, I don't if know. If there was one word you were going to tattoo on yourself, John, what would it be? Boner. Tattoo. <laughs> boner or tattoo one or the other or or boner tattoo i don't like know tattoo Maybe across both. your See? neck yeah See? No, yeah no, i got my me. daughter i got my daughter's name i got my son's name and i feel like that's i don't i don't know i feel like it's cool look when i when i started playing music i got my first tattoo when i was 17 of a lizard because you know as a kid i used to kind of collect lizards like we all do as you know idiot little elementary school kids and then and then as I got older, people are like, why do you have a lizard? You know, I'm like, ah, I like lizards. What, what do you say? Like, what do you say when people ask about a tattoo that doesn't mean anything? You know, so I, I, I don't know. When I was growing up, everyone had tattoos. It was like Guns N' Roses, the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Those were the biggest bands of my era when I, when I moved to L.A., you know, when I was 18. And that's I got started getting tattoos because I fucking loved Anthony Kiedis, you know, and I love that shit. It's sort of required as a punk rocker, I think. I think, I think you have to get like a tattoo, at least a starter kit, you know, like. You know, I found in my, and you, can, and you can share your experience, John, if you don't mind about like when, when I had to make it, I mean, I didn't have to, I didn't really have a choice. I, I, my brain wasn't built for school. I, I knew I wouldn't do well in college because I did terrible in high school. So I knew that there wasn't a college future. And, and, and so for me, like, there wasn't a backup plan. It was like I was going to do music. By the time I was 17, I knew this. And so I, I started just, you know, committing, you know, full both feet in. And I know it's very different in what you do. Like, to be in a band, most guys I know that are successful didn't go to college and didn't have a backup plan. All, all the guys that I went to school with that played in bands that had backup plans are all doing their backup plans for a living. Does that make sense? Yeah, that does make sense. Um, I don't know. College for me was, it, it changed my world because like I, I was like a townie who went to this little, little like liberal arts college in Poughkeepsie, New York called Vassar. And the kids there were from all over the world. So it's like my friends, my freshman year were from Brazil and London and Colorado and New Jersey and, you know, 
Germany. I mean, it was like, it was crazy. It's, and so like, I met kids from California. It's like my college, my first college girlfriend was from San Francisco. I'd never been to California. I mean, so for me, I was like 18 and I was meeting people from all over the world. And, you know, I was there with Jason Blum and Noah Baumbach and like guys who went on to have really big careers. And, but they were guys who kind of felt even as like 18, 19, 20 year old kids, they were like, we're going to do this, right? We're all going to do this. And I was thinking, wow, they really think we're going to do this. Like I'd never really left Poughkeepsie. So the idea of like, go where, go to Hollywood and try to get in the movies, like for real. And then I think hanging around with them, that's like the thing you hang around the tattoo shop long enough, you get a tattoo, they say, right? I just hung around with these guys and gals long enough that I was like starting to say that shit too. Like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to do it. I'm going to go. I'm going to be in the movie business. I'm going to go do that. I'm going to do that. And uh, I graduated and drove to California the next day, you know, like so literally when, graduated college, got in a car and drove to California. When you say, when you say, you know, all these guys like Jason Blum that have made it big, are you in that category in your own mind or have you not yet made it all the way? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I've been, you know, I got here in 1990, so that means I've been here 30 years, and I've had some good years, I've had some hard years, I look at it like, it's kind of chapters, you know, it's weird, like, I feel like my career has been in chapters, where it's like, I don't know that the chapters ended until I'm in the new one for a little bit, and I'm like, oh yeah, that, like, you guys brought up Real Steel, it's like, Real Steel was in one moment. It's like there was another movie kind of coupled with it. I'd have to remember what one it was, but it's like those two movies kind of were in the same kind of run together. And then when that What's was the, over- What is it, the teenage, was it the teenage one with uh, Power Rangers? Was that it? No, Power Rangers was in another chapter later. Cause like, I feel like Real Steel was 2009. And I feel like there was a movie before it that I don't remember what it was or maybe, you know, and then like I did flight was like 2011, 12. Um, and then right after that I did need for speed. So I left and like spent time running around the country, all the whole country shooting this crazy car racing movie. But I don't know before that, but it's like, there's little movies. They tended to be coupled together. Like I remember like coach Carter and, um, Dreamer, the movie I wrote and directed for DreamWorks, were kind of in the same strange chapter. It was a run of a couple of years um, together. There were those two things. And like the first movie, like as a writer, was Varsity Blues, which was way back, 1998. You know, so it was like that. And then Summer Catch, which was Freddie Prince Jr., Jessica Biel, like in Carolina, a little baseball movie. And then we made, in my uh, perspective, you're massively successful as a screenwriter because I was a screenwriter for about 12 years and I couldn't get a movie made to save my life. You know what I mean? Like I got close on a couple things and I had a couple things fall apart. But like you've had so many it's so many people will live and work in Los Angeles for 20, 30 years and never get a movie made, never yeah. get it made. But they're, yeah. they're working I, writers. I feel the same way about you, man. I mean, it's like you're one of the most successful guys I know. And you're so humble and gracious and you're just, you're so good with your time. And I just think about for me, like anything that I've done in my life, and I just don't know if you feel the same way. Like I get to a certain place, like maybe I've signed a band that I've been going after for two years and I finally get to sign them or I played in front of 100,000 people or I got nominated for a Grammy or whatever it is that was that mountain I was climbing. Like, I'm never looking behind me or standing still. I'm always like, all right, I've got to keep the momentum or else I might lose it all. And I don't know if you have that fear or whatever. 
it's hard because you always think that this is it. This is the end. This is the last job I'll ever have. Like Feldy says that all the time. But right? there's such a, I feel like there's such a big difference though because Feldy can bring someone in the studio and just crank out an album, right? But you, for a movie to happen, the director has to be in place, the producer, you have to get the money, the studio has to go for it. I mean, 50 fucking million things have to go into place for a movie to actually get made, right? Yeah. But he can get in the studio and make an album next week. Oh God, your idea of what I do is so fucking funny. But John, you were in your studio. What are you talking about? You just stand there. You've got to fucking, you've got to find the artist. The artist has to have fucking socials that mean something. They've got to, he's got to be relevant in the, in the fucking community that we live in. He's got to, we've got to be able to fucking find a major label that's going to support the kid, that's going to back him up. We've got to find acts for him to tour with. We've got to find features to get on his record that are signed to majors, major labels. Get them. I'm not saying it's easy to make a like a fucking hit album. I'm saying it's like you can go work. You can go work in the studio and make something. I but can actually I can pay my team to do a bunch of shit all the time, but I'm not getting paid. Right. That, I mean, it's all on spec. Everything I do is for free, or I'm paying until I can fucking connect the dots. And like you know, you're saying like for John, he's got to find the fucking the movie studio well, and the director and the actors. Well, screenwriting is both too. He can write a script on spec or he can get hired by a studio to come in and punch out a script, right? Yeah, I, I mean, it's there's a lot of nuance inside of all of that because, you know, something like, you know, Dreamer or Flight or the movie that I wrote on spec, which was called Smells Like Teen Suicide, which never got made, but it was the script that got me the job rewriting Varsity Blues. So it was just like a script that was kind of, you know, it was like a punk rock record that people like handed the demo around and were like, you should hit, listen to this sound, like listen to it, listen to it. Like people read the script and said, oh, we want to meet the guy who wrote that. So it was like, hey, let's see if he can do something else. And I got this job on Varsity Blues and then we ended up being able to get the movie made and the movie was successful. So that studio, which was Paramount, um kept me around gave me more shots and more shots and we were lucky to stay in a run of getting movies made you know and that was really important and i'd banged around as an actor enough before that happened that i didn't it wasn't lost on me that i i had gotten this good opportunity and i was going to stay with it you know and just kind of try to push and work hard and you know because i worked with the same producers i worked with the same studios um and i would form new relationships and then kind of like you know, I worked at DreamWorks for many years for Steven and Stacy, like the people who ran that company, whose company it was. And, you know, if you, if you kind of partner with people and. You well, let's just be clear for the podcast. You're talking about Steven Spielberg, right? That would, that would be Mr. Spielberg. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a big deal. Like, like you say it so casually, I oh, remember Steven but, and Stacy, but like our listeners should know, like Steven fucking Spielberg. I mean, he's the biggest guy in the world, right? Yeah. In, in uh, this it, world. It's, look, it was, it was. It was a crazy experience, you know, uh, because they have this, they have a little, they have a little studio lot called Amblin on the Universal lot. Like DreamWorks has its own little, and it's kind of this production designed little mini studio on the back lot of Universal. And Tell it's us got about the first time you met him, like your first time meeting Spielberg. What was that like? Time I met Spielberg. Because he was probably huge when you met him, right? He had done oh, E.T. Yeah, and yeah. Like he'd done everything Jaws and he'd done it all. He'd done it all. I'm trying to think. It was, you know, 
I don't know. I've had so, I've had some very funny moments with him. I can remember that. Well, look, I directed a movie for his company that he was he really liked it because it was like this. You know, it was a, a a family with a with a racehorse movie and Dakota Fanning and you know um, Kurt Russell and he was watching my dailies every day in L.A. while I was shooting in Kentucky and Louisiana. And it was funny because he kind of sent me notes about some camera stuff. It was kind of interesting because I was like, why is he sending me that? And then I called one of the executives. They said, you know, he comes in early. He watches your rushes every day. And I'm like, geez. But he's kind of competitive that way too, I think. Not that I was by all means, I was not making the man nervous, uh, but he's just kind of wants to know everything. So, I mean, it's funny. I have this, uh, I'll show you guys something. Hold on. Can you see this? Yes. All right. So let me just show you. Oh, it's, it says, sorry, John, with the thing towards the mouth of the shark. Uh-huh. And there's Steven's signature. So John's holding up a poster, a movie poster of Jaws right now. And it's, it's signed by Spielberg. And it says, sorry, John, going into the mouth of the shark, right? Yeah. So he was shooting this movie, Tintin, which was um, this, uh, uh, what was the format called? It was like stop motion animation. It was crazy. It was this mocap stage in like... Playa Vista or Playa del Rey. And I had to go down there to talk to him about Real Steel because I was about to do work on the script and um, do more work on the script and whatever. And Peter Berg, who was the director, was meeting me there. So I go there and they bring me to Steven and he kind of walks me around this crazy process that they're shooting this thing and whatever. And then Peter shows up and we sit down on this coffee, t or this uh, picnic table outside his trailer. And we have a really good conversation about the movie and blah, 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 and whatever. So as it's wrapping up, we're just chit-chatting. I had bought an original Jaws movie poster, right? Knowing that I was going to see Steven a handful of times and whatever. And I was like, I'm going to get him to sign the poster for me. So I pulled it out and it's folded because that's how they used to come in the cans, right? Like in the, in the reels that would get sent to the theaters, they were all folded up in the square so that the theater company could put it in the theater. I pull it out and I put it on the table and he looks at it. And he just starts staring at it. He was like, wow. He's like, that's an original poster. I said, yeah. And uh, he said, man, that was, the, that was the worst experience in my life. And I was like, really? And when I got him talking about it because I had seen the making of Jaws where he talks about how the shark wouldn't float, like the shark kept sinking, like all the stories of the craziness that went on with that movie. He said, but that movie gave me everything. He said, I had final cut from that movie on. He's like, I owe my life to that movie. He said, but it was the hardest experience in my life. And then he uh, and I said, look, if you if you sign it and say, hey, John, thanks for everything. I couldn't have done this without you. I said, you know, I can't really resell it, you know, and he just started laughing. And that's when he grabbed the pen and wrote, sorry, John, and like put the arrow to the mouth of the shark. So um, whatever. It's a little Hollywood story about Steven Spielberg. I fucking but, uh, love it, dude. It's so good. Yeah. It we just watched my, my kids and I just watched gremlins. And I was thinking um, my kids just did not get it. They were like. These are the least scary puppets we've ever seen. And, it's, and I was just thinking about how special effects, how it's, it must be tough in a world you live in when you're dealing with CGI and special effects that are always outdoing, it's always being outdone. 10 years from now, is Game of Thrones going to look, going to be watchable, yeah. you know? Yeah. yeah. I just watched Indiana Jones the other day for a thing I'm working on. I'm working on this movie for Aladdin. And I was like, we keep talking about it. And I was like, you know, I'm going to watch the movie. It's really good. I mean, the movie's actually really kind of holds up. There's a sequence 
where they're chasing the ark, which is in a series of trucks in a motorcade, like out in the desert where there's guys on horses and jumping and stunt guys falling off trucks and stuff. And it goes on and on and on. And it's so dangerous. And I'm like, guys must have died. There have to be guys who died doing the stunts in this movie. It was incredible. So that kind of holds up. It depends on what the movie is, but sometimes you look at movies and you're just like, oh, that just doesn't hold up. Like, I know. Just... And then I think about like, uh, I was, I actually drove to Orange County to go see a movie because I was so jonesing to go to sit in a movie theater. My son and I drove to Laguna, Laguna Niguel two days ago on Sunday. We saw Tenet. And right before the movie came on, it said, Tenet is the like sixth most, most expensive movie ever made or something like almost 300 million to make that movie. And so I, I knew that watching it, I'm like, holy shit, I'm gonna be so blown away if they spent more money on this than they did on The Force Awakens, it's gonna be insane. And I didn't understand any of the movie. I didn't understand <laughs> any of it. I was sitting there going, fuck, what does it matter if they spend that much money? But the plot is like, like crashing the plane into that building was cool. But everything else, I was like, what the fuck is going on? My Go wife used to be a writer and, you know, we sort of bonded on that early on. And we were bumming out yesterday because the main movie, we live in Bend, Oregon. I don't live in L.A. anymore. We moved here like two years ago. And the main movie theater here, we really only have two movie theaters. And one's kind of like an older movie theater with older movies. And the main movie theater is Regal Cinemas. And they're closing down. Like, they're yeah. going to shut and we're like, we're not going to be able to go to the fucking movies anymore. Like, that's like that was our thing for the first, I don't know, however many years we were dating and get married and everything is just going to the movies together. We love the movies. And so is this, is this, are movies going away? Like, it's a huge bummer. I don't know about the movies. I mean, it's like, uh, it's hard because the exhibition business has changed so much, you know, like the real, the theater chains and it's the kind experience. of our business. The experience has changed and it's like, we kind of live in a, in a in a world where it's like, it's, it's Avengers movies and everything else. And so, you know, that's the one thing that will get people out to the theater is really big spectacle. Look, John drove to Laguna, you know, to, to see a movie that he thought he needed to see in a theater or in a big experience because it was going to deliver for him, you know, something where right. it's like, if I tell you, hey, man, I've been watching all these documentaries the last uh, couple months here. I'm really into them. Um, but it's like, I wouldn't argue that you need to go to drive to Laguna to see a couple of these documentaries. You'll have a really cool, intimate experience in your house watching the thing I want you to watch, you know? So what's your favorite documentary that you've watched? Well, I, I can only, I mean, I'm just that guy. Same way if I get bored with a tattoo, it's like, whatever my latest thing is, my latest thing is, but there are these guys who made this documentary called the minimalists. Okay. John Feldy, I think you'd love this. It's like they're two guys in their late 30s who kind of just decide, fuck it. Like, I don't want to work this corporate job anymore. And they basically sell everything they have. And they kind of wrote this book about, you know, you don't need all this shit, you know? And they did studies about your house and how much of your house do you really use? And it's 40%. You basically use the kitchen, the bathrooms. And they're like, nobody ever uses the dining room. Nobody ever uses the living room. It's like, and you know, those tiny little custom houses you can get those 400 square uh -huh. foot little yeah they, they, yeah they interview people with those and stuff like that so they kind of go on this journey across country talking to people who've kind of done the fuck it i'm off the grid thing it's like i've sold all my clothes like one guy has 51 items and he carries them all on his back and travels <laughs> the world you know and he's just like a hipster kind of young guy but it's like the end of the movie their the basic ethos of the movie is love people use things you know, it's I like, not a, um, I just took a poop in my seventh bedroom for the first time in four years. I've lived at this house today. So there you go. I would say that LV is the opposite of the minimalist. Yeah. He's trying you're, to you're acquire. 
the maximist. You're the maximist. maximist. Yeah. Well, we live in the maximist city, you could argue. I mean, it's like, because your neighbor probably has nine bathrooms, John. Sorry to tell you. So. Nope, dude. I'm the, I, I have, I mean, for better or for worse, I've got the biggest house in my community. It is what it is. We just finished <laughs> the playbook last night, the series of the coaches. Have you seen that uh, one? No, but I, I ha- I'm, I'm, I'm aware of it. You know what I watched last night is I Am Not Your Guru, the Tony Robbins documentary. Yeah. It's really well made. It's re- and the thing is, I didn't know anything about Tony Robbins except that he's nine feet tall and he's got big teeth. Like I had hands. Know the guy's got big guy. hands. Yeah, big well, hands, and he's big. He's got those rah rah rah. But it was interesting. I watched it with my wife, and it was it's emotional at points. You know. Yeah, I was going to say, did you get choked up? I did definitely. Have you? Oh, you've seen it. Well, so I met Tony, and he invited me to a seminar, and it changed my life. We've told this, I've told this story on the podcast before. And so I had such a life-changing experience in his seminars. I can't even hear him on YouTube or in the movie without getting emotional. It's got, yeah, it's, yeah, it's like a trigger for me. Like, I get so emotional thinking of it. Hear, hearing him, it just brings it up in me. So, yeah, I met him in, at a really low point. Like, my, the screenplay deal that I thought was going to happen, the million-dollar sale, we had two Paramount and Fox bidding back and forth, and then they both fucking didn't buy it, and it all fell apart, and I had to go back to work doing this thing I didn't really want to do. And I was just crushed. And I, I met Tony at the Kings game, and he... He said, have you ever been to my seminar? And I said, no. And he said, well, I only do three domestically a year. And I'd love it if you'd come as my VIP guest next month. And I was like, you're kidding me. And he, and he like, next thing I know, I'm like high-fiving him. And I had was a moment. This, was, it, was it the date with Destiny one? Was it the six-day deal? Or no, was it, it was the four-day one. It was UPW. Um, and it was before the documentary. So this was about eight years ago. And it was a life-changing experience. And it was, wow. you know, he had these moments. Did your wife go with you? Or was it just you, know, you? Just me. And I came back and I was different. And I was like quiet for like four days, which is never. And happened. now you feel like you still carry it. Like it still yeah. sticks. It's still wow. a moment. Like I do this thing in my class that I do the breathing thing. I teach this breathing class. And at the end, I have people pull moments in their heart. And I got right. that from him. He does that right. in the seminar. And it's in the, I, it's in the documentary. It's yeah. In the documentary. So I do it at the end of my class because I want people, I want to fill people up with gratitude and love. And so I'm having them pull moments in. And I get choked up in my class. And I've been doing this class for like eight years. Like I found the breathwork right after the seminar and that changed my life. So I combined Tony Robbins and the breathwork together in my own life and then in how I teach it. And so every time I'm doing that, I get emotional. You know, Feldy will tell you, I get emotional while I'm teaching it. And so he's the real deal. He's really that guy. Like there's no bullshit there. Like he is, he, you know, he didn't, charge me it changed my life it was amazing i went to date with destiny in december and it was great and you know i think i got COVID at the end but that's a whole other story wow <laughs> yeah wow we've turned this into a kind of a tony robbins seminar but i mean i don't think about the guy except the documentary but and i'm a cynic you know i'm a i'm a kid from new york who's wary of everybody and everything so like i'm very so of, am i i'm from boston okay what do you do what do you do, Johnny, for, for your daily routine or for, do you have like a, a thing you do every day? Yeah, I have a couple things like that. I mean, I'm, I'm, I do pray every day before I leave my bedroom. I do hit my knees and I say a few prayers just to kind of center myself, quiet. And what do then you, like, do you, what do you pray to? Is there a, is there something you pray to? Well, I mean, again, you know, I'm a failed Catholic. So it's like <laughs> as a guy who, who grew up going to church on Sunday, 
and just hearing the word God enough and kneeling and praying and seeing the guy on the cross and all that stuff, the, the idea, the concept of God was kind of introduced young enough in me that like, I don't really have an issue with like the idea that there is some something that I could call God, some, some force in the universe that's bigger than me that, that I am not. So I'm good enough with that. You know what I mean? Does your, does your um, wife, to your, ki- to your kids, does anyone in your family believe that there's something out there? Well, it's interesting. I've had conversations with the boys, you know, who you got to remember are like 19 and 17 now. So they're really kind of young men. So like, you know, they, I think that they're searching around for their own belief system and they'll figure it out. It's one thing that I feel like I didn't really know how to kind of, because we weren't go to church on Sunday people. Right. So I I just was, and I'm actually weirdly kind of grateful that I was, even though there's, I'm not, I mean, I, I, there's so much about the Catholic church that, you know, I just, you know, I'm a guy who has certain beliefs about life that, run uh counter to what i would say the catholic church believes and they've been scandal ridden and everything else so but i believe in people who are good people who do good works and there's surely people in the catholic faith that are those people and with most faiths so i mean i i guess i'm a believer in people and i and i believe that you know god is love and those kind of things and if i can approach my life with some of that that uh it's helpful I mean, so, so you get up, or you pray, do you hit your knees when you do it? I do. I do. I'm very yeah. much into the kind of like, you know, humility is a, is, is such an attractive thing in people. And, and, you know, you can't, you can't kind of, we live in a town that's just based in the world of like, you know, faux humility, you know, it's like the humble, like the, like, let me sh- let me brag about how humble I am. It's like, you know, it's the just humble, humble act, you know? Yeah. The humble brag. It's like, so you know, I think that there's something kind of nice about starting my day with, you know, a prayer where, you know, I pray and try to clear my head and ask for a little direction and that kind of stuff. But, you know, it's different than being a guy who's going to, you know, tell you how it works. And my belief is the only belief. And I, I don't believe in what you think because of whatever. It's like, I'm not interested. I want you to have a good life and whatever. But like, I'm not trying to convert anybody to any specific thing. So well, I, I don't know. I think when you it, hit your knees, you do feel that physical the physical sensation of surrender. It is a surrender. When you're on your knees, you are in a, that's what surrender feels like. That's what it feels like to submit a surrender, right? And so it brings that into your body. There you're surrendering. For me, I'm surrendering to a higher power or whatever I want to call it. I wanted to, I mean, and, and I feel like you and I, John, share the same kind of beliefs with as far as this stuff goes. But for me, I mean, I pray on my knees as well. But I, I mean, I don't think that there's some, visual thing that I'm praying to. I'm saying words and I'm humbling myself to the power of the universe. I mean, that's clear. And I guess for me, if I think about it, logically it makes more sense that we've been created than this is just complete random randomness, that all of our fingerprints are different, that, um, uh, you know, that an Australian shepherd and an ant uh, both, both live on our planet, that this was all total randomness. That makes less sense than there's a creator but is there a God? I mean, is there a God that's like going back in time and making adjustments so we don't fuck, it, fuck ourselves too bad? Like, does that exist? I don't know. You know, I honestly don't know. And I can't tell you that like when I leave this world, I'm going to get all the answers, you know, 
in the, that's in the, the gift one bag. thing I hope for is like <laughs> they're going like, to hand you a gift bag as you come in and be like, oh, you made it. Thanks. Thanks for doing the life thing. Here's the bag that shows you all the answers. And someone will sit down with like a fucking remote control and I'll be like, tell me what happened with Kennedy. Show me. And then they like play it back. I'm like, <laughs> okay. And then <laughs> was this person lying about this? Of course they were. You know what I mean? Like right. I want, I it want just, someone. It just them. makes no logical sense that that's what's going to happen. No, of course it, not. It it's doesn't make fantasy. any sense. You know, and I guess the idea of reincarnation, maybe, maybe that's more logical than the idea of heaven. I don't know. But like, what do I teach my kids? I mean, that's, that's really why I'm asking. I just want to know for me, what the fuck do you teach your kids? Yeah, the light at the end of the tunnel is you coming out another vagina and starting all over again. Wow. What if that's what it was? Like, you literally just like, fuck, we're gonna do this all over again. Well, but there's religions that believe in reincarnation, right? And yeah, then you move yeah. to the Catholic system of like, you st- yeah, you start in one place. I like the Buddhist stuff. I mean, I, I studied that a little bit and I, I did some, some meditation in that world. And, you know, I think we all become seekers. You know what I mean? Like, look, I don't know about you guys. I'm 52 years old. It took me a long time to get to like what my daily belief is. And I'm trying to be the guy who remain, is rem- I'm going to remain teachable, right? It's like, my eyes are still open. It's like, I don't, you know, my kids know more about how the world technically works than I do. So I'm a little bit outmoded. So I'm a little bit like, I've got my thing. They, I need them to help me. Maybe they'll ask me about, hey, um, in your life experience, like, how did you do with like believing in certain things or other things? I watched one of my kids go through conspiracy theory spin cycle, which I was like, oh God, you know, it was unbelievable. He's a really bright kid. And it was just so interesting to be like, holy shit, I'm going to have to read the 9-11, like, you know, commission report and like, you know, get into this with him and say like, look, that's a great fairy tale. And it's one of the best conspiracy theories there is. It's really like as a storyteller and a writer, I was like blown away. I was like, this is great, but it's total bullshit. It's like, that's not what happened. Even if it's, uh, even if it's real, I don't want to live in that world. Like, right. you know what I mean? Like I don't, I would rather just be like, it's a conspiracy and just like, cause yeah. it's too dark. It's too scary. It if that's the fucking dark. reality, like that shit's going on. So what do you do after you pray? What's, ne- what's the next part of your morning routine? Look, I would say that, you know, it's funny because I'm a little bit stony right now because I've been running a lot, you know, during COVID because I like to do hot yoga. That's one of my other things. And I can be a bit addictive about things, as you probably know. And so I, I like hot yoga became a real thing for me that I was really, really fascinated with and loved uh, that practice. But I've been running. And um, on days that I I run, I don't know, five times, four four or five times a week now. And um, I feel really good. I mean, I get a physical feeling out of it. And then the rest of the day, I feel kind of at peace. And it's kind of meditative too. Like on Sunday mornings, I get up really early and I run the beach. I run Venice to Malibu and back. And uh, the ocean is there. And it's like, I listen to a pod. I usually listen to Dak Shepard's podcast just because I kind of know him a little bit. And but for me, it's meditation and it's a little bit of mental hygiene, I think, and a little bit of, you know, psychological hygiene for me. Do you I run on well the sand or do you run on the... Um, on I the- run on the path. I run on the bike path. Yeah. Have, have you tried the infrared sauna? No, but somebody else gave me that suggestion. Yeah, you should get one and get like, I would get like a size big enough where you could do some yoga in it. You wow. know, okay. that, and I have one in my house. I love it. I'm kind of a freak in that way. Like anything I can buy that's going to change my state, 
I want, <laughs> I want to own it. Like I have a float tank in my house. And oh, wow. A, the float tank, you should do the float tank as a writer. It's the best tool I've ever found as a writer because 95% of your brain's input is taken up from your senses. So you could like figure out storylines and character lines and all kinds of stuff in the float tank that you just can't get to any other place. It's incredible. Nice. So I have my own float tank, but what I was going to say about the infrared sauna is you can go in there and do a little bit of yoga in there and then go into a cold shower and it will shift your state like nobody's right. business. Right. I don't know, especially during the COVID time here, we're entering whatever month seven. It's like people are trying to figure out, I'm watching people really struggle, man. It's hard, you know, couples are having a hard time. I've seen couples break up and people after each other and people struggling and it's hard. We're social animals is my opinion. So like getting to go out and see people and hug them and what's up and how are you? Great to see you. Let me see your house. Oh, you painted the room or just having an experience that we're not having and we're kind of shut down. It's kind of like, it's, it's hard. It's, it's a little bit of like, you know, your happiness factor just gets dented down and dented down a little bit. So, you know, but how quarantined have you been? I've been pretty quarantined. You know, I, I, Flew back from Atlanta um, from a work thing on like March 11th. And then the world got shut down like the day or next day later. So I haven't been in an airplane since then. And I've just been in LA and I don't really have anywhere to go. It's been a little quiet, you know? Yeah, we're designed to have connection. We need that human connection. And whether it's at like a rock concert or a movie or hanging out with dinner with friends, like you need to connect to people. You need to feel that energy. Yeah. I agree. And it's, it's a bummer. Like I haven't been able to do a live class. I haven't done a live class since January. And you know, I haven't been on a plane since January and I've been doing my classes online, but it's, I fucking miss it. Like I, I wonder, have 200 I wonder how much up. of this, I wonder how much of this cancel culture has come out of people just really being so isolated and so in their head with nothing else to focus on other than what you're doing wrong. What are you doing wrong that I can focus on? Well, you know, I was listening to your guys' um, podcast with that woman, Manny, right? And you guys were talking about social media, and your guys were you were guys were talking about having to do your social media for your work and everything else. And Feldy knows this. Like, I'm the non-social media guy. I've never done it, um, and it's not. And believe me, I had to, I had a conversation with my kids about this recently because they've had trouble. They've had cyberbullying situations. They've had tough stuff happen to them with their phone. Okay, I have all the evidence for it. And I kind of said to them, "Here's the thing: you guys are taking me wrong because I think what you're hearing me say is like I'm above it. You know, like oh, I don't need it. I like being the guy who no one can find, and you're not going to read what I have to say on Twitter and everything else." I said, "It's not that." at all. I was like, I think I'm really clever. I think I could be hilarious on Twitter. I have so many funny things to say. I said, but my opinion is, you know, I can't bat nine for 10. I got to go 10 for 10. It's like, I say the one thing wrong that upsets somebody or I said, I would feel terrible about it. I was like, and that just would make me feel really stupid and shitty. And I was like, I just don't want to do that. And it's like, as far as Twitter goes, it's like, I got low enough self-esteem. I, I, don't, I don't need Twitter to tell me more about how I don't do my job right or whatever, because I didn't even know what Twitter was for years. I'm literally that guy. John will tell you, it took me forever to start even texting people. It wasn't until my kids really started texting with their phones that I was like, oh, they need to be picked up. There's, sent, there's some message on my phone. Uh, but like, 
a friend of mine taught me, she said, no, no, you can just go on Twitter and search and you can search your name. So it's like on occasion when I'm feeling dangerous, I'm like, search, let's see if there's anything out there. And it's always just movie reviews or something. If I've worked on something, you know, like somebody sent me a Twitter thing this weekend, a guy who worked on flight with me, that was like a picture of John Goodman as the character in the movie, walking down the hospital hallway with his backpack. And it was like currently seen uh, checking into a Washington hospital. It was like a joke about, you know, all these people in the White House testing positive for COVID, right? It was like a funny little meme that Pat Oswalt had put out there. Like some guy created it was out there. And I was like, oh, that's funny that somebody did that. But then I, I was, had to click on Twitter. It took me to Twitter to see it. And the guy who had done it with all these followers had said, I'm surprised anybody even remembers this movie. And I'm like, see, I didn't need that. Like, I don't. I, you're welcome to your opinion, but like, I don't need to access your opinion. I'd have had just as good a day having not heard the guy be like, oh, fuck that movie. It's like, I, look, dude, I get it. But like, it, it's brutal. But here's the thing. Hurt people hurt people. And those, that sure. guy, fuck, that guy never wrote a fucking movie that he was nominated for an Oscar for. He, you know what I mean? He probably couldn't even sit down and write 10 pages. You know, no, no, no. I, that's all. It's all fine and good. It's, you know, but I look at it to say like, what is the upside for me? The culture of likes that it's like, if I went on Twitter and suddenly said, Hey, I'm going to teach you how great a guy yeah, I there's am. There's no upside for you. It's like, not- what, what am I going to do? It's like, I'm going to get eight people that say, Oh my God, you spoke at this thing and I love you and blah, blah, blah. And then the two guys are like, I fucking, I hate you. You're awful. You're there's like, no upside, but you know, I have a friend, Rob Delaney, who does that show catastrophe. Have you seen that on Amazon? It's really I good. I have not. Really good. And he literally built his career off of Twitter. He was right. like on Twitter, just crushing it. He was working like a regular job and he was trying to do a little stand up and he started crushing it on Twitter. And then he, he, he I remember I was out at the Comedy Central uh, Awards with Matthew Perry. He's a friend of mine. And he was nominated with Steve Martin and all these other like huge names. And he won. Like he won the funniest guy of the year on Twitter. And then he got, you know, he was writing on a show and he got Catastrophe, which he writes and stars in, which is fun. So his career literally got launched from Twitter. So there's that story, but that's one. Does he he want to come and take care of my daughter when she's sobbing after being like destroyed on like social for some stupid, (laughs) what you know? Some oh, TikTok fluffle with some other girl. She, it's like, it's the, it's the instrument of evil. It brings evil into my business. When I, I was agree. a kid, went to school and kids would bully you and whatever you get in fights and whatever. You get on the bus, you get home, you shut the door, you eat cereal and watch cartoons and it's over. Now we've got a phone. They've got phones. So school comes home with them. It's with them 24 seven. And now they're in COVID. So it's like, they're in class looking at screens. Then they got the phones in their hands. And then it's like, it's nonstop. It's, it's really hard. I feel like, and we have a president who tweets. It's like, are you kidding me? Like, really? Like, really? That's the world I'm living in where the guy is trying to run the president, run the, run the country from like his underwear and his bed at four in the morning. Let me whip out my phone and just like click, 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 click. It's like, to me, I'm old. I'm the get off my lawn guy. It's like, that's not good enough for me. I feel like it's all fake culture. It's all kind of nonsense. It's like when people show me Instagrams, like my wife has Instagram, right? Oh, we lost it. We lose it. I'm him? still here, buddy. Okay. Um, but I mean, I like when she's like, John, she'll show me photos of you. You know, you're on a trip or whatever. And I like to see that stuff. I'm like, that's so cool that she's like, did you see Feldman? Did you see where those guys are? And whatever. I, no, no, no. And she shows it to me. And I think that that's great. The, I don't know. I'm on a rail, but it's like, <laughs> you know, 
people post these like people don't post like the worst day of their life every day looks like the best day of their life it's like the perfect you know lighting the greatest the yeah it's the greatest stuff, hits you know? man and um and look i'm with you and, and i i guess I, I just relate so much i mean no matter how you can kind of naysay the idea that yeah i get it that you know my movie that i wrote was nominated for an oscar and and this one guy said does anyone remember the movie but for me no matter what it's still like there's still part of me it touches that i'm not uh, you know that i'm they're gonna find me out that i'm not good enough and that i'm never gonna have that i'm never gonna have the kind of success that i want and i i don't read comments I don't go, I don't search my name. I have my own people. I have a few people that I follow that are my friends. And so I'm, and that's, that's pretty much it. I try and keep it limited because I get, I, I mean, maybe you don't, maybe that doesn't really affect you on any level, but for me, I still get affected by that stuff, the negative comments, you know? Oh, you kidding me? It, of course it does. And that's why I think what I'm saying is like, I don't, I, I, I mean, I would never win a debate with anybody online about anything I did being good, bad, or indifferent. So I just kind of, the war games thing of like, you know, the, the only answer is not to play. It's like, I, I'm not going to get into that. You know, I, I do the best I can. I don't think I'm the greatest at anything. It's like, I try to work. I try to make a living. I try to have some laughs. I try to help some people if I can. Um, and, you know, not, not think that I, I know why water's wet. You know, it's like, mm -hmm. And it's hard because I work in a business with, you know, ah, there's a lot of, a lot of things. It's an extreme everything. It's, it's very, you know, high visibility and there's a lot of money that people make and, you know, and, and if you're going to do that, you're going to take, you said to me, man, I remember I'll never get the day because I think flight was like, you know, starting to make its way and getting reviewed and nominated for shit and whatever. And you said, and I said, look, man, I'm struggling. This is hard. I got these publicists and I got to do all these events and whatever. And, you were like, look, man, if you want to soar with the Eagles, you're going to get shot at from the ground. And I kind of laughed like hell about that. And it's like, I'm very grateful for that experience on that movie and the people I got to work with and everybody I got to meet. And look, the great dinners I got to go to. It was great. I sat next to Francis Ford Coppola at the Oscars. That's a true story. That's so cool. And but I knew it was ending, which I was also really happy about, too. You know, and it was great when it was over. And I would just went back into my turtle shell and was like, you know, a soccer dad. So it was cool, you know, um, and I'm glad that it ended. I feel bad for the guys and gals who are actually super famous and like so recognizable. And, you know, it's kind of the constant pecking society. And now everybody with a cell phone can go after those people and just be like, you know, why I don't like her. It's like, you know, the poor woman is like, geez, enough. My life's hard enough. Like, yes, I know I make my living because I'm famous. So people make that argument. It's like, you chose it. It's like, I don't know. <laughs> You know, I, I feel, I feel, I feel, I was going to say a word I never said. I, I feel very grateful that I have made my career behind, behind the scene. And maybe like yourself, maybe, you know, you had dreams of being a big fan. I did. I wanted to be an actor. Let me be clear. I came here as a 22 year old guy determined to be a famous movie star. And that was going to solve all my problems. And that didn't happen. <laughs> thankfully. Uh, probably, thankfully. And, you know, years later, looking back, I'm like, oh, my God, thank God that never happened. Like, especially in that moment, I really would have had no idea how to deal with it. I can barely deal with the silly life I have, which is trying to work for a living, you know, make some money, like have some fun, raise my family, you know, have some good times.
And I've been like you, I'm grateful enough to have done it in the movie business and done a little bit of everything, done a little acting, directed a movie, produced some movies, but primarily write, you know, and get brought in to help people at a certain point in the writing process with the script or start from the beginning whole cloth. And I don't know, see what happens next. You know, it's all like a chapter. I don't have some grand plan. I never had some grand, I had a grand plan and it all blew up, right? That's how it goes. And so yeah. it all blew up on me, you know, at 25 yeah. years old. It was I, I really so. thought I was going to be, I mean, I thought I was going to be like, you know, Billy Joe Armstrong or uh, Anthony Kiedis or Axl Rose. I mean, I was, re I mean, I moved here to be a rock star. There's no other reason I moved to Los Angeles other than to be a rock star. And I have the perfect amount of celebrity in my life. It's like I, I play shows and people line up to meet me at the shows maybe once a month someone will come up to me in a mall if i'm out at a mall or whatever you know and say i love goldfinger but it's not like people aren't on me with fucking phones at every hour of the day when i'm trying to go to air one to get like a smoothie it's just thank right. god if it was my life was like that i would i don't know if i'd be able to stay sober or be you know monogamous or all the stuff that i that i love so much about my life and i did want to ask you because i you know i know a lot of people like you do as well john and i don't know i i just don't know a lot of people that have you know, this, I've been with my wife for 24 years and, you know, no one else has touched my wiener in 24 years. It's like, I've got this life that's like beyond what a lot of people like, you know, it's really hard in LA, I think, for people to stay married, especially in COVID, all this stuff. And I don't know, maybe we could talk for a minute about, you know, how, you know, how your marriage survives all this stuff. Look, I got lucky and, you know, I... Like my wife, my wife um, is great. You know what I mean? Like she, she, we met when we were 19 and 18 and we knew wow. each other and had a little, but again, just to be clear, I don't want to do the whole story. We weren't together from that moment. It's Waffle like we knew each other, we ran in the same crowd. Yes, there's a whole, cra there's many crazy stories, but it was around the age of, I don't know, 23 when we really dated out here and then we lived together um, and have been together ever since. So we've been together a very, very long time and we're kind of the perfect, you know, combination of like, I'm a little bit crazy and she's really kind of grounded and cool. And she laughs at my jokes and we have a really good time. And we've been through a lot of craziness together, good times, bad times, but like we communicate and we just kind of keep going. You know, I, I don't know. I, I, I think I'm one of those people who's like, you know, I, I would not write a book about it because it would make me think I know more than I do. And the truth is, I don't know how it works. It just works. It's like, it's great. We don't argue, we're respectful. Um, she's a really genuinely good person. She's a genuinely, and John, you know, I mean, she's just genuinely a lovely person who doesn't really have an evil bone in her body you know, and uh, that's really good. It's a great example to me. That's how my wife is. I think that, I think that everybody's trying to screw me. And maybe that was from spending 25 <laughs> years. Everybody, you know, spending from growing up in South Boston and then spending 24 years in Hollywood. I think everybody, like the guy at the grocery line is trying to right. fuck me. Like, it's yeah. just like, yeah. she's like, nobody's trying to screw you. And I still, yeah. I, I still have a hard time shaking that. Like, yeah. you know, I just think. Well, look, I, I'm the same way. I'm the same way. I, totally where I grew up, it's like you shake someone's hand, you got to check and see if all your fingers are still there, you know, afterwards, right? <laughs> and so, 
I moved to LA when I was 23 to be an actor and that was my dream too. And if I, if everybody loves me, then I'll be okay. Right. And then I got some health problems and my hair fell out and I was like, wow, I don't want to be in a casting office with 20 other ball guys. Like now, like, you know, I spent three years in method acting and then I pivoted to screenwriting and, and I, I think I had some talent at that. I did, you know, I, I almost got there and then it was so frustrating. It just wasn't happening for me. And that's when I, I was just like, where's mine? Like I had helped all these guys. Feldy's heard the story. Like I'd helped so many fucking guys and watched all these guys become hugely successful, like rich and famous and everything. They got fucking everything I wanted. And then I was like, where's mine? Where's mine? And, and that's when I found, that's when I met Tony and found the breath work. And so you just don't know what life has in store for me. Like I never would have thought that I was going to be a breathwork teacher and that was going to be my thing and like helping people. But it's so gratifying to help somebody change their life, like in real time. Like I watched somebody in real time, like literally an hour later, they, they're like, oh my God, I feel like a different person. You know, it's just, we, you don't know what your path is and you have to be open, I think, to change, to be willing to do something different. And it, cause it's just a, a lot of times it doesn't work out. You know, Hollywood is California, Los Angeles is littered with broken dreams and people just get really bitter and angry and it's hard to watch, you know? Yeah. Look, I, trust me. I've had, I've had my own moments many times. I have them all the time. I mean, my poor wife is the one who has to listen to it at times and then, you know, and she's so positive. That's the other thing too, is she's the one who's like, the grass is always greener. Like it's the sun will always come out. She's a great cook. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like, she kind of keeps it all going, you know? Um, yeah. And that's a really great thing because I can't imagine if like there was two creative creatures in our house who were trying to pay the bills creatively. It's like, there'd be just be murder. Jesus you know I mean? Christ, if there was two of me in my house, that would just be fucking... You'd be dead, right? It's like... You Feldy's have wife is the same way. You need that polarity. Like one person is the creative, wild, crazy, angry, whatever, right? You create the shit. And the other person is the grounded person who takes care yeah. of the kids and does the thing or whatever. Absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. When it's two of the same... Have you have to have fun. I mean, you absolutely have to have fun. My sister always says, uh, marriage is hard and forever is a really long time. Yeah. yeah that's why you should they sell wigs on amazon like wigs are cool <laughs> yeah, I yeah mean, I, I, people people just ask because i've been with my wife for so long like both of you guys ultimately and i just you know they ask me that they're like relationship goals or whatever and and i i feel like you do john like there i don't know if there's any big secret i mean i'm look i'm scared of my wife I mean, that's, that's number one. I mean, she would just, I mean, I just know if, if it didn't work out, it would be a, a terrible life for me and, and my kids. And I mean, you know, the, the, the real truth for me is, is like, even at our worst, I don't want to be, I don't want to see my kids on the weekend. I want to wake up every day and just be able to go in their bedroom. And the other thing is I went through so many relationships in my past that just, you know, weren't it just it, I wasn't ready I mean that's the truth is I wasn't ready to commit and I cheated on so many girlfriends and I just had all, all the things that I, I knew wouldn't work in my life and by the time I met Amy I'd been through all that stuff right before I turned 30 I'd been in enough relationships to know that like when I found Amy and I just her personality and she was the hottest hottest chick I'd ever met at the time and and all that stuff that just kind of wrapped up into like look this just makes sense like I just uh and she was just 
awesome. And, and you know, even today, like you're saying, John, we were, I was about to go into some tirade of how like I'm only, you know, I'm only doing these, I'm, I'm doing projects that I'm not like, you know, both feet in about, I'm just sort of whatever, I'm, I'm, I'm trepidatious about what they're going to become. But I just, I knew is the second I thought it, I'm like, if I open my mouth and complain, my wife is just going to shut it down like that. And it's going to, she's, she has no tolerance for complaining about my shit because she knows it's always going to work out. Look, I mean, it, it's, you say that to me all the time, Feldy. That's why I call you because you say to me, are you kidding me? You're you. It's all going to be good. Oh man. You know, it's like, and you need those people in your life. And I think that that goes on just to bring it back to my Twitter rant. It's like, I don't think anybody's going to hold my hand and stroke my face if I go on Twitter and tell me I'm the best. I just have a feeling that's not really the feedback I'm going to get. I need people in my life who know me personally well that I can reach out to and really connect with and be able to say, look, I'm struggling. I'm struggling about this. I'm struggling about that. It's like, give me some feedback or let's talk about it or let's work it through because when you have good support, in a marriage, like with your family, with your friends, like, and when I say friends, I mean really close, connected people. Um, you know, that's everything. That's what life's all about. It's like the rest of it is all nonsense. It's like to be, like, I remember my daughter tell, telling me about, do you know so and so? And I said, no, I don't know who that is. She, well, she's she's TikTok famous. I'm like, what is what does that mean? What does that mean? I was like, what if, what is what if is TikTok that a, gets closed down by Trump tomorrow, then she's not famous at all. She's not it's over. TikTok famous anymore. I'm like, TikTok famous. I just keep thinking What's about What's the them. best advice? Is there any advice that someone's given you, like when you're struggling in those difficult times? You know, I don't know how long you've been sober or whatever. It, but like, is there any advice that someone's ever given you that's really stuck with you? I'm like, oh, like I'm going to hang There's on advice, to that. You know how it is. Like we hear these mantras, these little sayings that strike us, the, 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 the kind of bumper sticker kind of like throwaways, but sometimes they really hit you. And sometimes they come back after years of not being in your mind, it kind of pops back. And just the other night, one of them hit me because I was grousing about um, life insurance of all things. I'll, I won't get on my, my rant about insurance companies, but um, I, had, I had a guy once say to me, he's like, you know, all this fear you've got, he's like, here's the thing, you're a sober guy. And after what you went through, he's like, you're already dead. He was like, the red, the, this is all multi-ball, man. This is extra. This is like, you kidding me? Like, forget all that. It's like, you're gonna be yeah. afraid of what? It's like, you're already dead, man. And I don't know why that means anything to me, but it just does. It just makes me go, you know what? I got a second chance. I got a second life. It's like, God willing, the end of this year, I'll have 27 years. It's like, wow. that's crazy. That's like, I've lived yeah. more than half my life this way. You know, I'm so grateful for that. So anything else I get on top of that, I should be really grateful for. It's like, what, I want to grouse about all this shit about I didn't get this and I didn't get that? There's a guy that I did a process with a long time ago, and we basically broke down, I listed out every fear. And then it comes around to like, there's really only like, I really only have like 20 fears, like say, right? And you know, it's fear of this, fear of that. And then what he did was he had me distill each fear down, like underneath that, like, what's the fear? Like a fear of financial insecurity. Like I'm not gonna, I'm gonna, not gonna make any money. That's a big one for us, right? For everyone. And then it's like, well, what's underneath that fear of financial insecurity? Well, if I don't make enough money, then I'm not gonna be able to pay my mortgage and support my family. Okay, well, what's underneath that? Well, if I can't support my family, then I'm gonna be a failure. Okay, well, what's underneath that? Well, if, I, if I'm a failure, then nobody's gonna wanna be around me. And every fear that I have, 
always boils down to the same thing that I'm going to end up alone. And if I, if I'm in, if I'm alone, then I'm in an emotional pain. And if I sit in emotional pain long enough, then I'm going to drink or I'm going to fucking kill myself. Every single fear boils down to that. And, and then he said, if you have a God, if you have some kind of higher power, then you're never alone. Like everything can leave you. You can lose your family. You can lose your business. You can lose everything. But if you have a connection, if you have a God, if you have some kind of higher power, then you're never alone. So every fear comes back down to that, that I'm going to be alone and I'm going to be in emotional pain and I'm going to die. But I, I just need to connect to God and then I'm not alone. And so I can know that intellectually, but like trying to get that in my body when I'm feeling in that moment, like, holy shit, like this thing fell through and I don't have money coming in right now. And now we're going to have to tap into savings or whatever. Or maybe I, I went too big on the house. I don't know. Like I got my overheads too big. I thought I was a baller and it would last forever. You know, it's just, it all comes back to that, that I'm going to be alone. And if I'm alone too long, then I'll drink or I'll kill myself. And I've seen people do that. And tw- you know, I, I've been sober 20 years and I've seen people get in that place where they feel like, you know, they're alone and nobody loves them and they get that cycle. They get that lie in their head, which is awful. When your brain starts giving you bad information, um, when your brain can make you sick and tell you that nobody loves you. And I, it's fucking heartbreaking to see, you know, and you, did you have to do something to break out of that cycle? You know, whether it's call Feldy, uh, we'll put Feldy's n- number on the podcast here. So anyone can just reach <laughs> out and call Feldy. <laughs> because <laughs> that's what I do. That's what a lot of guys do. Or, you know, calling some, just calling someone like, this is the crazy idea that I have going through my head right now. Um, tell me that I'm, that it's going to be okay. Look, I, I think that John and I would both agree with you that we do something. We have very similar trains of thought, you know, and I think that being connected to people is, probably the mo- the healthiest thing you'll ever do. It's like having healthy, good, supportive relationships with people are the thing that will sustain you through money problems, career problems, love problems, whatever. It's like, that's all you've got. It's like, it's really all you've got. Let me be well, clear okay, about Well, okay, so let, let's strip that down then. So if you, for, without your family, forget about your family, what would you, what, if you could only have five things, if you could, you had to grab five things out of your house right now because it's on fucking fire, what would you grab? What are the five things you would grab on the way out? Wow. I guess it would be a computer for photos. You know what, honestly, man, I don't even know. Like, I, I, I'm kind of in the, you're catching me in the mood where I'm just like, I don't give a fuck. I'd make sure my family's out of the house and let it burn to the fucking ground. Who cares? Yeah, you know what I mean? It's over. like, whatever. you know, I mean, I know that that's the right answer. It's like, look, I have a car I'd like to take. Like, I have an old car that I like. I would take the car, but one that's in your if house, not, just fucking burn. The no, one well, that's in your house. I know. I'd leave that one to burn. I'd take one that's in the garage. But yeah, I don't know. It's a great question because the truth is, if well, I'm in the right, that you know, I don't know. I don't know. We do a couple questions at the end here. So what, what superpower would you most like to have and why? I don't know. Intuition? Is that a superpower? I do time travel. That would be mine for sure. Time travel is pretty great. And everyone always says flying. That's always the thing. It's like, yeah, you know, those are flying. the two big ones. Flying yeah. and time. I was going to say flying. I was trying to be clever to say intuition, but who cares about intuition? Um, if, if you could make up a rule or a law that everyone had to follow, what would it be? Be nice. Just fucking be nice. Can't people just be nice? <laughs> and what's your what's your either most favorite or least favorite character from a movie or a TV show? God, I should have listened to one of the other podcasts so I would be able to make like I had a That's really right. clever. 
I'll skip that one. Is there another one? Yeah. How it? often do you delete your browser history? <laughs> oh, wow. Um, I don't. So that's the thing. I'm a real like uh, Luddite. Like I really don't know how to handle any of my stuff. Like my kids will take my phone sometimes. So I'm like, how come I can't get the thing? They're like, dad, you've got 85,000 things open. I was like, I do. They're like, yeah. So they're trying to tweak my phone for me. So I really don't know how shit works. Like I really don't. So like you saying it to me makes me go, I should probably figure out how to delete my browser. Is that what you said? Yeah. I don't know. Don't worry about Bugs Bunny. Bugs Bunny. That's my answer is Bugs Bunny. He's my favorite character. It's a good one. Yeah. yeah, What's your favorite character? What's that? Feldy, what's what's your favorite character? I don't think you've ever answered that. Is it Gandalf? In a movie? Dude, Han Solo. Without question. Dude, when he he fucking died in Force Awakens, I was like, dude, that was like, dad died. It was crazy. I like when Martin Sheen comes out of the water in Apocalypse Now, like when he's got the fucking paint on and he's going to go kill Colonel Kurtz and he's just like comes out of the water. Yeah, that's good. That's my, that's my jam right there. That's super good. John Gatons, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you, John Gatons. Gentlemen. You're the best. I love you so much. A pleasure. And a pleasure. do y'all i'm uncle drank star of the ballad of uncle drank it is a scripted musical podcast about the life and times of me fictional golf and western country music pioneer uncle drank the series also stars luke wilson brian kelly chelsea lynn kinky friedman and billy zane as a talking blender named blendy you can find the ballad of uncle drank on sirius xm pandora stitcher or wherever you get your podcast